Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune into what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A rested child is a happy child. Sleep Tight Stories is a weekly podcast that brings comfort and joy to families worldwide with calming bedtime stories. The stories are relevant to children and spark wonder without overstimulation, so they can fall asleep and stay asleep. Listen to Sleep Tight Stories on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. For a bedtime routine you'll miss when they're grown, sleep tight stories. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Money Making Conversations. It's the show that shares the secrets of success experienced firsthand by marketing and branding expert Rashawn McDonald. I will know. He's given me advice on many occasions, and in case you didn't notice, I'm not broke. You know he'll be interviewing celebrity CEOs, entrepreneurs, and industry decision makers. It's what he likes to do. It's what he likes to share. Now it's time to hear from my man, Rashawn McDonald. Money Making Conversations. Here we go. Welcome to my show, Money Making Conversation Masterclass. I'm your host, Rashawn McDonald. I recognize that we all have different definitions of success. For you, it may be the size of your paycheck. Mine is inspiring people to develop a plan to reach their dreams. It's time to stop reading other people's success stories and start writing your own. You can only exceed expectations by believing in yourself. Know that. People always talk about your purpose or gifts. If you have a gift, then leave with your gift and don't let your friends, family, or coworkers stop you from planning or living your dream. My guest today is Ariva Martin. She's an award-winning civil rights attorney, best-selling author, media personality, and child advocate. Ariva Martin served as a CNN and HLNN legal analyst and contributor, as well as host of her own web-based in-depth current affairs talk show called The Special Report with Ariva Martin. She also has a weekend show on the Tavis Smiley KBLA talk station 1580 called Ariva Martin Out Loud. On the show today, we'll be discussing this, her new book, Awakening, Ladies, Leadership, and Lies We've Been Told. It's a three-pronged approach to defining, exploring, and solving the five key falsehoods that have historically historically kept women at an inequitable position in society. Please welcome the Money Making Conversations Masterclass. She always is a joy and always educates me, Ariva Martin. <laughs> Hello, my friend. Always a pleasure to see you. Well, it was a pleasure that I got this book in the mail. And, you know, I read all my books now. And so, uh, and this was a good, fun read. And the reason I say it's fun read is that, you know, when you get when you get my age and uh, over 50, then you tend to have, have shared some of these life experiences. And then you, then you wonder, is that you in the book that she's talking about? Or did you share some of those values? You know, because we always like to say we grow and we learn and we mature. 
And this book is a is a book about I I I put the word must read because um it it it, it taught me some things about myself. It made me look at the world and say, really, this is really happening. And also I have a, I have a daughter, she's 25 and she's going out into the corporate world. She just graduated from college. And I think this is a book, this type of book I would like for her to read. So why did you write the book other than me introducing it, saying it was a must read? For your daughter and Mm -hmm. women like your daughter, because I have two daughters that are in the same age group as your daughters. Mm -hmm. And I wanted those women like our kids who are going into the workforce to have some understanding about what they are going to face. We live in a culture right now, and you've seen it, Rashawn, where the hashtag girl boss and that hashtag and that whole phenomenon around, you know, what it means to be a boss. I wanted to help dispel some of the myths about what people may think it means and give some reality to what they're going to face in the workplace. And I don't have per se a problem with the hashtag girl boss or people calling themselves girl bosses. I've done it myself, but I do want people to understand that we live in this society where even some women have bought into this meritocracy concept, this concept that being successful as a woman means striving and climbing the corporate ladder and the higher up that ladder I get than the, you know, the, I can say to other women, look at me. If I did it that way, you too can do it that way. It's, it's, some people call it corporate feminism. Right. This notion, again, that being a, a you know feminist is all about how much you can attain, how much money, how much status, how many things, how much stuff, uh, and less about the systems that oppress women, the systems that oppress minorities. And I just wanted to give people some grounding and, right. and you know make them realize that we still live in a world that no matter how great you are individually, mm-hmm. that if you are a woman, particularly if you are a woman of color, you are still likely to run head straight into some systems that might hold you back, that might create some barriers. And we still have a lot of work to do. And as women that make it to the top, we've got to not just focus on our own personal gains financially and status wise. We've got to get in those positions and use our status to disrupt some of these systems so that other women, other minorities can walk through the doors. Well, you know, it's really interesting because I have, uh, you know, my company, 1315 Media Inc., I represent talent. And some of my talents are entrepreneurs. And I have two female entrepreneurs. One owns a Nothing But Bunt Cakes franchise. And one is a founder of a, a pancake, biscuit, and waffle mix. And I took one out to dinner one Saturday night. And I just talking about her career, where she was at. And as soon as I she left, it was about 8.30 at night, she went back to work. This is Saturday, right? Mm-hmm. And then the following weekend, I took the other person out to dinner and uh, the exact same place. And we wrapped about 9.30, and she went back to work. And both these ladies are single. And I, I talked to her the next day. I go, I said, where's the personal life? You know, see, this lifestyle has always been somewhat acceptable in men. You know, they go to work and and just work, 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 work. And sometimes the woman's there waiting and their life moves on because the woman's there waiting. Now, with the women taking on that similar role, who's waiting on them? And that, well, that was some of the strong takeaway I took from the book as well. And I wanted to share that story because as women grow as entrepreneurs or boss ladies, something else is... Something else is being carved away, and that's their social life. 
How do they balance that? Talk to me. Well, first of all, I think you make a, a great observation is that traditionally society is used to men playing that role, right. the role of working extra hours, uh, the role of being away from the household. And, you know, our patriarchal system acknowledges that, rewards men for that, applauds them mm -hmm. for that. But mm -hmm. when a woman takes on that same role, somehow people start asking her this very question you just asked. Well, how do you balance that? <laughs> right, right, right. I, I want you to think about how many men have you asked? And I know you represent a lot of high-powered mm -hmm. men, mm -hmm. very successful men. And, you know, oftentimes you may have done it because you're progressive. But I don't see a lot of folks asking men that question. So let's start there. We've right. got to change this notion that there are traditional roles and there are roles that women play and mm -hmm. there are roles that men play. Because women have every right to, just like the two entrepreneurs you represent, mm -hmm. to be as hard charging as they want to, right. as they choose to be in their careers. And, and there shouldn't be any judgment around that. And it is a lot of pressure for women to constantly hear, well, how are you going to make time for a man? How are you going to take make time for a family? How are you going to make time for kids? What about your social life? I'm good with that. As long as we're asking our, our sons, our brothers, and the men in our lives, those same questions. And that's what this whole book is about, because a woman has every right to make her career her first priority in the same way that men have done throughout the ages. So if those women you represent are fine going to work at 930, <laughs> I used to be that person. <laughs> I'm good with this. So I, no and judgment now, on my and now, father. You I don't know, ask about you, their social you, you life. They have that under control. Come, come on now. You have a beautiful family, okay? I and do. You, right? But I, so, those, I work those hours. I, right. You are not building anything. Right. Ain't nobody building no business nine to five. Right. That just ain't the way the world works. I wish we could do it. I didn't build mine. I run several very <laughs> successful companies. And what I I'm just saying, Reba, is that in the debate... And the debate of this conversation is that you have the married woman with a structure. You know, if she left at 9.30 after a dinner or 8.30 after a dinner and went back to work, that lifestyle is, you know, understood. But when you're still trying to pursue or maybe trying to have a, a life where you want to bring another partner into your life, how do you, you know, whether it's a man or a woman. You find ways. My point is that woman's smart enough to run that business, own that company. She knows <laughs> When to go home, she knows when to go to the club. She knows when to jump online and go on Hinge or whatever website she may be on. We ain't got to check for her like that. That's my point. I right. have every confidence in that woman's ability to manage her business right. and manage her social right. life. That's what I tell you. I, I love this book. See, see, you see, this book creates conversation. That is why I was so excited because with her and I, we in a dialogue. We've never been in a dialogue. I'm cutting her off. She cutting me off. Because there are stereotypes we have to live with. And stereotypes of what the women are dealing with is that you're supposed to be this. It's a very, very good uh, dramedy. I call this called The Johnsons. It's on Bounce TV about these four black males. They, it's called Johnson because all of them last name in high school, last name of Johnson. And one of the characters played by uh, Thomas Q. Jones, is his name's Omar, and he's the more chauvinistic. And his wife is the more aggressive wife. You know, she's out there with her own business minded. And he carries those little stereotypes. You know, she's trying to wear the pants in the family. You know, uh -huh. you know, I want her at home when I get at home. I want her cooking. And a lot of men are still dealing with that mentality. And a lot of women have to deal with it at the work environment, correct? Oh, absolutely. Now, how do they get do the do the, 
Well, I guess what I'm saying is that I'm all about women being successful, but but the stereotypes and the expectations and the ability and then the look, because you talk about that, appearance plays a role, you know, how you come to work versus how a man comes to work. or A man doesn't wear makeup to work. A woman don't wear makeup to work. There's a problem, okay? They're, why are you looking like that? Why your hair is not like this way? So a man is delivered, is gives gives a lot of days off where, you know, a woman can't have a bad hair day. So these things, are we, are we transitioning away from that? Are we getting better at it, Areva? Talk to me. Oh, you know what we are doing, Rashad? We're having these conversations. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't know that we are actively changing the systems, but we can't fix what we don't acknowledge. Right. So we are taking a very big step, I would say, and books like these and other books are, are starting to bring into the light the issues because for years we've been in denial right. because a lot of men will say, well, what are women complaining about? I work next to a woman or my boss is a woman and they can point to Kamala Harris or Nancy Pelosi or you know, Keisha Lance Bottoms or they'll, uh, they'll point to one or two successful women right. and say, we don't have a problem. And that's a mistake. Right. Because we know in every industry, right, you can always point to some superstars, right? You can always right. point mm-hmm. to those guys that are in the NBA that are, you know, have the hundred million plus contract. But we know that's not the majority of those folks Absolutely. that make it into the NBA. They get, you know, shuttled out, that end up in injuries, that end up broke at mm-hmm. the end of their careers, who never make that kind of money. Mm-hmm. So you never study a problem by looking at the outliers. Mm-hmm. So when we look at the issues with women, we can't just look at the outliers. We got to look at the majority and we know the majority of women still make less per dollar than men. Right. And we know as it relates to black and brown women, mm-hmm. even though we're the most educated black women demographic in mm-hmm. this country, we still don't make the same amount of money as black men mm-hmm. and as white men and even white women. So we got to look at, you know, the, the macro and in terms of the macro, women are nowhere near where we should be. Forty four CEOs female of Fortune 500 companies, two or three of those 44 black. That's that's an abysmal number to have to report out. And in any given year, that number for black women CEOs of Fortune 500 companies, despite right. our gains in education, that number is zero. Absolutely. So when you say are we making progress, it's kind of like the civil rights movement and the progress we make as African-Americans. There's this yin and yang. Mm-hmm. After George Floyd murder, visual on TV. Everybody is, you know, changing their social media feeds, uh, bringing in diversity trainers, donating money to black causes and organizations. Six months after that, you know, we're talking about suppressive uh, voting uh, laws. We're talking about uh, preventing schools from teaching critical race theory or black history at all, even using the word slavery to describe slavery trying to come up with some words to sugarcoat that. So I think with the women's movement, we've seen the same kind of reaction in this country. There are periods of great advance, Mm -hmm. and then there's periods of, you know, regression. Mm -hmm. And I would say right now, this is pretty much a status quo. We're having the conversations, but a lot of folks are still in denial. We'll be right back with more Money Making Conversations Masterclass with Rashawn McDonald. Now let's return to Money Making Conversations Masterclass 
with Rashawn McDonald. Uh, the thing about it, I was speaking to Reva Martin, a very talented, uh, best-selling author, civil rights advocate, attorney, uh, health advocate. Um, her book, Awakening, I think it's perfectly named, Awakening Ladies, Leadership, and the Lies We've Been Told. Uh, there are a couple of things. There are a lot. The chapters are just, uh, the chapters draw you in. Working within the system is not enough. Rebuilding the system benefits everyone. Expectations, norms, and culture are holding us back. I think that's what we just talked about. The, the culture of what people think, mentors, men, and leaning into closed doors. How did we get here? How did we get here? Are we just still on that same train? And so much that when you go back to go back to Europe, or the culture came over with Columbus, and, and then it just carried over in the in, in, in the society. And it, it may sound like women can vote. You know, women can wear a miniskirt if they want to, but still, then you get Roe versus Wade overturned by the Supreme Court. So talk to me. Yeah. How did we get here? We got here because, you know, from the beginning of the, the founding of the U.S., it was always uh, designed to be a patriarchal structure where men were at the top and women were subjugated to men. You for many years, women couldn't even own property in this country. We had to hold property in the names of, uh, well, hold it through our relationship with our fathers, our brothers, or through Some marriage male. Mm-hmm. to a man. Mm-hmm. Uh, so women have always been second-class citizens. It was designed that way. The white men that founded this country did not view women as being equals, as they did not view the African slave that they had brought over to the U.S., Uh, as being equals either. Now, women gained more rights than African-Americans in this country, and they gained them sooner. But still, this is a patriarchal society. So it's by design that we are here, Rashad. It's it's not by happenstance. It's Mm -hmm. it's not by accident. This was the way the country was was designed to be. And we are now in a country that is, particularly as it relates to voters, more than 50% of voters in this country are women. Mm -hmm. So we we are at a point where we have the mass where we can challenge some of these systems where we can say okay that might have been the ideal of the founding fathers right but we you know it, it, when you know more you 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 do differently right when you know better you do better so now we know that there is no g uh you know no no genetic differences there there are no biological differences that dictate men having superiority over right. women. Absolutely. Uh, and we have to change that because I don't want my daughters, you don't want your daughters. And I tell men all the time, men who refuse to accept that sexism and gender bias is real. I say, well, you want to send your daughter into a company where all the people in the C-suite are white men? Mm-hmm. What message does that send to your daughter about her opportunities and her chances of getting to the C-suite. Don't you think your daughter is worthy if she works hard enough, if she has the expertise, the talent, the skills that she should have an opportunity to be in the top position in this corporation? So men are, are, you know, you guys are funny. You have this compartmentalizing that goes on in your brain. You can go into a company uh, and feel completely fine. You're pointing your finger at me. You said you guys. You said you guys. Men, men, not you, but those brothers you hang out with that are at the top of those companies that can go into those companies and see that every man, every position at the top of that company is filled by a man. But yet have daughters at home that they want to have the best. They want to have every opportunity. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I often challenge me, well, wait a minute. What's going to happen when your daughter walks into that corporation? 
Mm-hmm. Those same men that you hang out with on the golf course and the club and the cigar bar and get five to that, you know, are systemically and systematically right. excluding women. Why are you going to treat your daughter any differently? Right. Let me ask you this, Reva. Now, you know, you said something. You said 50% of the women in America are qualified to vote. Now, we can point fingers at men. We say, hey, men, you the problem. But we also know there's a percentage of women that are holding the line for these stereotypes. Oh, my God, yes. We talk about, let's get to our sisters. Yeah, I'm an equal opportunity (laughs) caller-outer, right? So you're Right. right. And here's why. You know why? Rashad, you're so right. A lot of women, we have bought into these patriarchal concepts, norms, and traditions. Yes. yes. Sometimes a woman in a job yes. is another woman's worst enemy. Mm-hmm. A lot of women, they get to the top. I just had this conversation with an author of a book. Her name is Cora Beck. Wrote a book called White Feminism. Mm-hmm. And she talked about herself. She's a woman of color. But when you get into these positions of power, you got to make sure that you don't take on the attributes of the men who are in those positions, because some people get comfortable being the only one. Some women want to be the only person in that C-suite. They want to be the only woman, you know, that's that's ever held the title of vice president or president or, or whatever that title may be. So women can fall into those just like black folks can take on the attributes of white supremacists. Mm -hmm. They don't become white supremacists, but they can take on the norms and the traditions and start talking like them and acting like them. We see that. We got examples of that, whether it's Clarence Thomas or, uh, you know, Tim Scott in in South Carolina. These are black men who talk about how they pull themselves up by their bootstrings, who deny in many cases uh, the the barriers that black folks face because of systemic racism. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're not going to call them white supremacists, but they have ideologies that mirror those of white supremacists. And so me- women can do the same. We can take on, uh, and we have to check ourselves because if you are constantly inundated with those messages, it's very easy for you to fall prey to those very messages that, that you should be fighting against. Absolutely. Um, you know, First of all, you know me. I'm enjoying this. It is, like I said, this this that's why I enjoyed this book because it's going to create conversation. Uh, definitely um, positive debate, I think, because I think that it's about education. I'm speaking to Reva, a national bestselling author, Reva Martin. Ladies, leadership, and the lies we've been told. The book is called Awakening. I say the word awakening because whenever you start shifting gears on people, they feel that they're about to get left out. And the very popular word has been generating a lot of buzz the last couple of years has been the word canceled, you know, mm-hmm. canceled culture. culture. Yes. And then you talk about men are being afraid of, or have a fear of being canceled. Talk about that. Well, yeah, a lot of men. And again, this book is not about attacking men. Mm-hmm. I, I am all about inclusivity and collaboration. I know that well, we get things. Before you say that, let me, let me, let me say that for you. No, this is, book is not about attacking men. This book is about educating everybody about awareness, about, yeah. about the stereotypes that a person like Rashawn McDonald may assume it's normal and it's not normal. It makes people feel uncomfortable. What we've learned through education is that, you know, saying it, it, uh, if you're an employer and in the, and one of your workers comes in and wears something nice, you might say something, oh, you look really good, but you never said anything about her work. But you quick to say something about 
something she wears or her hair or her makeup. So these are the things that we're talking about in this conversation. It's like you cannot become a better country. You cannot become a better community unless you're willing to change or questioning your habits. And not all habits are good habits. And so I just wanted to say that before she had to feel that she had to defend her book. Her book needs no defense. It's an awakening. It's It's an acknowledgement of information that we as a people, black, white, Brown, uh, Asian, have need to understand that we need to change. If we don't change, then the world doesn't get any better, and we stay in this little narrow scope. It's a beautiful book, so you can continue your statement, but I need to step in on my friend and let her know, don't defend yourself. Your boy is awoke. Thank you. Appreciate that. And that, that is so important, and you said that very well. Yeah, we don't get better if we don't acknowledge where we need to do better. And all of us, everybody, we should all be lifelong learners. I mean, nobody gets to where they are unless they are willing to be open to new ideas, new concepts, and to challenging their old ways of thinking. And I had to do that in the book. I talk about the lies that women have been told. I uh, recount five. Of course, there are a lot more than five, (laughs) but I talk about the top Mm -hmm. five. And even one of those lies that was told to me by the strong Black woman that raised me, it was painful for me having to work through Uh, saying something that could be perceived as negative about what they taught me because I revere these women in such an amazing way. Mm -hmm. But sometimes even things that your mama and your grandma and people you love, you have to challenge what they told you, not because they were maliciously told to you, but, you know, our parents teach us what they were taught. And a lot of times what they have been taught could be wrong. And so they pass down to you disinformation or wrong information and you've got to break out of that. So this is all about all of our awakening mind as well. Coming to grips with a lot of what I was taught as a younger woman uh, doesn't serve me well in the country that we live in today. And that I had to shed some of the, the notions I had. I, you know, I'm a workaholic. What people call a workaholic, I don't call myself a workaholic. I love when I love something, I work hard at it. And right. to me, it's not work when you love what you do. But workaholic is a pejorative term that we Uh, often used to describe people that spend a lot of time, you know, in their profession or what they do. And I always thought if I just worked hard, I could solve every problem. Biggest joke in my family, whenever, you know, my kids, husband, we ever, they're talking about someone that has a problem. My first question is, well, do they have a second job? (laughs) My kids are like, mom, a second job doesn't solve every problem. (laughs) (laughs) You know, when I was growing up, if you had a problem, you just got a second job. You know, you solve a lot of problems. Money money will solve a lot of problems. Let's be real. Uh, A lot of light bills, a lot of gas bills, a lot of car notes. You know, you just... It's inflation. We need two, three jobs with this inflationary times we're living in right now. The beauty of what I like about your book is that you have to change. There are people that sitting out there going, why do I have to, why do I have to feel comfortable? Because, because of the fact that there are a group of people out there, people of color, people of different genders, who've never been comfortable. Why can't they be in America and be comfortable too, just because these stereotypes or quote unquote norms have told you it's all right to think that way. And before I wrap up, I want to talk about the Mike Pence rule. And there's something that really stood out for me in this book. And I think that it is the hierarchy of stereotypes that women have to deal with. Talk about the Mike Pence rule. Well, you know, Mike Pence uh, professes to be a very devout Christian. I don't, you know, profess to know what his his commitment is or his you know relationship with God is. So it's not about that. But he talked about taking his wife mm-hmm. with him into meetings with women and not 
basically taking any meetings with a woman alone that didn't, uh, you know, that his wife wasn't a part of. And as much as he thought that that was, I don't know, a good idea or maybe made him seem like a pious Christian man, that's very harmful to women Mm -hmm. because that says that, you know, women are going to be excluded from a lot of meetings. If you have to, a man, bring your wife to every meeting with a woman, you're, that's going to, by definition, limit the number of meetings that you have with your wife. And it says that men and women can't be professional without there being some kind of sexual tension or some kind of, you know, inappropriate conduct going on. And that's yeah. just foolishness yeah. to me. I spent the, wow, first 10, 15 years of my career as a lawyer working uh, pretty one-on-one with a, my a law partner we would travel together across Los Angeles in a car, two, three hours, meeting clients, going to court, uh, going to business meetings, going to business events. We spent hours alone. We'd be in our law firm at night alone together to 11, 12 o'clock at night, working on cases, getting ready for trials. He was married. I was married. I respected his boundaries. He respected my boundaries. And I don't want my daughter, your daughter, 25-year-old women mm-hmm. going into a workplace, mm-hmm. having to meet with men who mm-hmm. are so insecure, mm-hmm. are so out of control, so you know, can't control their, I don't know, their, their hormones or whatever, that they can't have a business meeting that doesn't involve some kind of sexual, like I said, tension or innuendos or something. So that's ridiculous. It's 2022. Everybody should be able to control their impulses. I should be able to meet with you. Married, single, you should be able to meet with me. Married, single, shouldn't matter. You know, we got to hand. Sometimes you just got to handle the business. And everybody doesn't have the luxury of traveling with their spouse and being able to take them into a meeting. A lot of times, a spouse in a meeting is a distraction. Right. If your wife doesn't have anything to do with our business, why do I want her in this meeting? Well, I, I can tell you, this this book has a lot of compelling stories just like this. You know, it's a story about the dentist. Uh, it, it's a lot of really great stories. And I, and I would say this is that it really does. I think that Mike Pence rule is the most, the, the most, it's the most harmful rule because it does stereotype women to be the aggressor like they have an agenda like if you're in a room in a room alone with a woman you know what gonna happen you know what they gonna think you know you you come out of the room y'all only two been in the room somebody gonna take a picture of you it leads to a lot of uh things that, that that mislead relationships that should be effective should be wholesome should be but then but then he's operating in a world that that situation has happened many times. The Gary Hawks, the you know former President Jimmy, Jimmy, you know uh, Bill Clinton. So there's a lot of situations out there that have exploded to that level. I don't respect it, and I acknowledge that he may be overly uh, concerned about being in a room with a group of women or a single woman without his wife. He should stop that practice. But again, your book. Uh, sparked a lot of conversation. We're going on 30 minutes, my friend. It doesn't feel like 30 minutes. It's called The Awakening. I'm talking to a uh, civil rights advocate, attorney, health advocate, uh, great, great uh, personality. You see on CNN, headline news. Uh, you can catch it on KTLA, uh, KBLA. That's Have a Smiley's radio station in Los Angeles, Talk 1580. Ariva Martin, Martin, Out Loud. Her book is out loud. Please get it, Awakening. Ladies, leadership, lies we've been been told. Thank you for coming to my show again, Miss Martin. Thank you. Quick plug. I don't know when this will air, but hopefully uh, August. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. 
The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic. oracle.com strategic. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation... I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous of your generation (laughs) that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 12th, uh, 11th, I think it is, I will be uh, talking about my book, at Edgartown Books in Martha's Vineyard. So if any of your viewers are going to be uh, in the vineyard, on Martha's Vineyard, on this Thursday, wow, okay. August 11th, I would love for you to stop by at 2 o'clock at Edgartown What's that date? Give it one more time, because it will air before that date. Mm-hmm. What's it? Give me the information it's one more time. Thursday, August 11th, mm-hmm. uh, Edgartown Books in Martha's Vineyard. I will be there talking about Awakening at 2 p.m. That's Eastern Standard Time. Stop by. Uh, I'd love to say hello to you. <laughs> Get your comments, your feedback on the book, and whatever else you may be thinking about. But yeah, I'm super excited. I'll be in Martha's Vineyard for the week of August 8th through the 13th. There's tons of great stuff going on film festival, comedy festival, right. lots of political events going on. And like I said, I'll be uh, presenting Awakening at Edgar uh, Town books on Thursday, August 11th, 2 p.m. Awesome. Thank you, Ariva Martin, for coming on Money Making Conversation Masterclass. You are amazing. 
Thank you. Cool. I always tell people, if you have a gift, always leave with your gifts. And again, thank you for listening, watching. If you want to see any of my episodes, please go to moneymakingconversation.com. I'm Rashawn McDonald. I am your host. We'll be right back with more Money Making Conversations Masterclass with Rashawn McDonald. You are now tuned into the Money Making Conversations Minute of Inspiration with Rashawn McDonald. Hi, I'm Rashawn McDonald from Money Making Conversations Masterclass with your daily minute of inspiration. This week I sat down with actress, writer, director, and activist on the Showtime series The Shy, Yolanda Ross. She explains how acting on every opportunity you get can lead you to discovering your talents. How did you decide to become an actress? It wasn't a decision. I feel like I was led to it. I was working in the fashion business and- and this girl that I worked with used to do background work for wow. SNL. Uh-huh. Anytime you got an opportunity <laughs> to make a little bit of money, right. they went out. So they let me, and then they kept hiring me. So I got my union card, I got an agent, and then my first audition was um, New York Undercover. That was what really made me feel something. If you want to listen to this full interview with Yolanda Ross, it's available on moneymakingconversation.com. Now let's return to Money Making Conversations Masterclass with Rashawn McDonald. My guest is Thomas Q. Jones. He is an actor, producer, showrunner. He's an executive producer, showrunner, and star on the Bounce TV comedy, I like to call it a dramedy, Johnson. He plays the role of Omar on the show. While best known as a leading running back who played 12 seasons in the NFL, his focus has turned to acting and technology. We talked to Thomas about his path and career trajectory, what made him decide to transition to Hollywood, doing acting and producing after his NFL career, what has been some important tools that have helped him in finding success in the entertainment industry. If you know, if face looks familiar, voice sounds familiar, Luke Cage, one of my favorite shows. Tales, P-Valley, one of my favorite shows. Being Married to Mary, being, being Mary Jane, and many, many more. Please welcome to Money Making Conversation Masterclass, Thomas Q. Jones. How you doing, sir? Thank you. Thank you. I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on. I truly appreciate it. Big fan of the show as well. Well, I appreciate that compliment because I uh, we got the interview booked this week, Thomas, okay? So I, I don't do an interview unless I... Read the book, see the movie, see the show. So they sent me 14 right. episodes. And I'm going to tell you how I usually do I, Sometimes I cheat. They sent me that many episodes. I watched the first two, watched the last two. I got it, right? That's how I, sometimes I do it. I watched yesterday. I got it started at 5.30. I watched 12 episodes last night. Wow. It wrapped up about 11 o'clock. Okay, I finished, got woke up at four thirty. Got get up at four thirty every day. Got to the office around about seven. Wrapped up the last two episodes. That's how engaging. That's how good this series was. It it would not allow me to cheat because if I'd have <laughs> cheat, I'd have missed the character development. If I'd have <laughs> cheat, I'd have missed the character moment. If I'd have cheat, I'd have did a disservice to the quality of this great series. Tell me how I got started, Thomas, and tell me why you're involved in it. Well, well that means everything to, to have that type of feedback from something that you produced and, and acted in and given a lot of your heart. Uh, and soul too. So thank you so much for the kind words and I'm so grateful and appreciative that you, that you enjoyed the show. Um, this show was created by my producer partner, Daisy LeRae, and actually in 2014. And I bumped into Daisy in 2017. And I had originally heard about Johnson through a mutual friend three years earlier. 
And I didn't know that it was his show. And when we met, we just clicked immediately. Uh, I loved his insight just on Hollywood, on being a creator. Uh, I, I was just engulfed with the idea around Johnson being that it was a positive uh, series and with a positive narrative around black men. And, uh, and I felt that not only was it something that was needed for the industry, but I felt like it was something that I needed to be a part of and had to be a part of. And so we, uh, we uh, created our, our production company, Midnight Train Productions, and we filmed the pilot episode of Johnson just on our own, with our own money, our own friends, our own relationships. And we set out on a journey to shop this thing in 2017. And we were fortunate enough to uh, have Cedric the Entertainer and Eric Rowan, his partner at A Bird and a Bear, see the project, and they loved it immediately. They brought us in for a meeting. We sat down, told them what our vision was for the show. They appreciated it, being that they were two black men that have been in Hollywood for 30-plus years, and they've had a very similar relationship to the, 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 the relationship Daisy and I have, and they were on board. So we signed a shopping agreement, and we went to a few different places in Hollywood, Everyone loved the idea. They loved the pilot episode that we had filmed, mm-hmm. but they were a little bit, you know, nervous to pull the trigger because they weren't sure if a black male POV show, uh, number one, would be interesting to audiences. And, right. and number two, would actually uh, pull in the ratings that they were used to from some of these other narratives that they typically push. So we ended up at Bounce TV and David Hudson at Bounce, who's a, uh, the head of original programming over there, loved the idea, loved the concept, thought it was fresh, thought it was new, and thought it'd be a great show for Bounce. And now here we are, season two of Johnson, uh, with feedback that you've given us on that show. So it's been an incredible journey. It's been a lot of fun. It's been intriguing. We've met some incredible people. And uh, we're just looking to keep the, uh, the journey going. Talking to Thomas Q. Jones, former NFL running back of 12 years. Now he's going to be acting forever. Boy, this show was going, you know, this, this guy. Now, how did you get the acting bug? Okay, because, you know, if I remember correctly, because I've been a fan of yours. I remember you was at the University of Virginia, right? That's where you did college ball, right? right? Then right, you came out. Right. Were you a second-round draft pick? What was you? What, what, what? I, was, I, was, uh, I was the seventh overall pick in the first That's round. That's right, seventh mm-hmm. overall pick. I apologize. And then no, you, went to okay. the, you went to the Cardinals, right? Right. It was clowning. And then, uh, and because, yeah. uh, like I said, it's, it's something about, you know, Athletes and 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 I was an ACC fan. I lived in Texas. I was I was that's that's amazing. I knew you, and knew your talents and followed you. And I was born and raised in Houston, Texas. And then fast forward, I'm interviewing you on my show about your TV show, and I'm recalling information that. I haven't had had a need to call up ever. I was just a fan of yours just because I just knew you was a special talent. I saw some of your interviews, and you didn't talk like an athlete. In other words, that's nothing negative, but you right. always talked like a person that had a life. This is something you were just doing because God gave you that talent. This is what this right. didn't define you. Your athleticism didn't define you. I think that's what stood out for me, Thomas. Am I correct? You, you're, you're absolutely correct. I was fortunate to have an incredible mother and father um, as I grew up that, that, uh, taught me that being an athlete is secondary to being, uh, number one, a good person and also, uh, an intelligent person. Uh, because that's one thing people can never take away from you is your intelligence. Uh, one injury takes your 
athletic career way. Mm-hmm. And so we, so much so that in high school, um, I, I had a really, really, um, really, really good high school career. And I rushed for a lot of yards. And my father, um, he understood that on Saturday mornings after our Friday night game that I would want to grab the newspaper and immediately read the sports, sports section mm-hmm. to see my stats, see what other running backs had similar stats. That's the position I played running back. So he would take the sports section out of the newspaper and I would have to read the front, front page of the paper first before he would give me the sports page. And so psychologically what that did was it made me realize that, yeah, sports are cool, they're fun, uh, it's a form of recreation. And even in my case, it was an opportunity for me to get a scholarship uh, to a university and get a degree. But it still was second in regards to me understanding what's going on in the world, uh, being an intelligent person and, uh, and a citizen that can contribute to society. And that never left uh, from the time I was 13 years old till now at 43. Um, that ideal never left. And I think that's been a huge catalyst why I've continued to be successful in, in other industries outside of just sports. I'm speaking to Thomas Key Jones. He's a showrunner, uh, actor. Uh, when the, now, I'm going to call it a hit series, okay? It's, it's a hit series to me called Bounce. It's on, the, it's on Bounce Network. It's called Johnson. And Johnson's about four, four brothers, you know. I say brothers because of them being brothers, but it, they're not related. They just have the last name of Johnson. They met in school and, and was, uh, was lined up as Johnson. They, be, they befriended themselves, as is announced in the second episode. And, then, and the thing about it is that each one of the characters are different. That's what he's talking about. See, Hollywood has a way of saying mm-hmm. what people want to see because it's never been done before. And what they're doing on TV, this dramedy, and that's what it is. A dramedy is like a drama slash comedy. You know, they got funny moments, but the storytelling and the lessons you learn, the takeaway makes it a dramedy. That's what makes this series so special is that I always tell people, you know, it's a stand-up, and it's funny that, you know, one of the stars of the show is D.O. Hughley, who is one of the all-time greats stand-ups. And then you have one of the backers of the show is a stand-up, Cedric the Entertainer, one of the all-time great stand-ups. And then you also have one of the co-stars of the show, Earthquake, one of the all-time great stand-ups in the show as well. So you have these incredible stand-up components, uh, comedy components around it. And then as actors, they are funny. But your character, Omar, you know, let me just tell you a little bit. We're going to talk about Omar. Omar is a little bit chauvinistic, you know, because he got those old values, you know, think a woman should be like this. And uh, so when you when, when you had to play your character, did you, did you, did you, did some people say, man, you're not going to be like that, are you? Or you say, hey, man, this is a character, this is a role I'm playing. I don't believe in none of these values. Because, you know, your fans hitting you up. I know they are. Talk about it. Right. right. I, I, listen, I... I, I love this show. First of all, just to talk to, to the point of having Earthquake DL and Cedric on the show, that was very important to Deji and I because we're standing on their shoulders. They paved the way for us to even have a show like this. Yes, sir. And, and, and we appreciate the work that they put in, the struggles and obstacles that they had to overcome to be in the positions that they are. And we wanted to showcase them and, and also create characters that our characters could learn from. Because it's important to showcase what you want to see in real life and in real time. Mm-hmm. And I know I had my father in my life and other black men that had experienced life before me that I learned from. 
whether it be NFL coaches, college coaches, these are men that molded me mm-hmm. and to who I am. And, and they deserve the utmost respect and flowers because I wouldn't be the man that I am today if it wasn't for them. And, and we wanted to show love and appreciation to D.O. Hughley, to Earthquake, to Rodney Perry, to Cedric the Entertainer, even Eric Rome, who's not an actor, but he's Cedric's partner. And, mm-hmm. and they've navigated the path that Deji and I as producers, young producers in this business, are trying to navigate through. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important to pass the torch and, and it's important for us to show that we respect you and your journey. We appreciate you. We love you. We're giving you your flowers and we appreciate the advice that you can give us. So that was a huge part of our show is giving those legends their flowers. And then in regards to my character, Omar, Omar is a, uh, he's, he's going through a custody battle and merit, marital problems with his wife, Naomi. And it's a complex situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to give too much away because you have to watch season one. Oh, absolutely. You absolutely. You have to gotta watch it. You gotta stream. watch it. Yeah, you have to. You can stream season one of Johnston on this app, Brown Sugar. You can download the app. You can stream all the episodes from season one, which are 10, 30-minute episodes. And then also season two, if you haven't been able to catch up with uh, on the show on Bounce TV, you can download the Brown Sugar app and you can get caught up all the way up to episode three. No, this four, Sunday at four. Central, episode four. Episode four. Episode four, four airs this four airs this Sunday. Oh, it's great. Cool. This Sunday. Um, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so four will be available on Monday. But okay, if cool. you want to download the app, whenever you see this, you'll definitely be able to get caught up to three, episode three for season two. Absolutely. But this character uh is very flawed, just like everyone else is. And and he's confused about um his relationship with his wife. He's He's trying to figure it out. He's trying to give her her space that she needs to figure it out. But he's also a human being with instincts and mm-hmm. and, and needs. Mm-hmm. And he falls short. Mm-hmm. He falls mm-hmm. short, just like everyone else. Mm-hmm. But the, the point of Omar's character is that we want to debunk the idea that Black men aren't there for their children, aren't there for their families. He loves his son. It's the most important thing in his life outside of his marriage. And he's fighting for his son. He's right. fighting for the opportunity to be in his son's life and help raise him because he understands the importance of a father in a, in, a, in a child's life, especially a little boy's life. But he's also a human being. He has needs, he has wants, he has feelings, he has emotions. And a lot of times, the way black male characters are written on a lot of shows, we're, we're written as void of emotion. Uh, we're written vo- void of, of necessities. And we're written very emotionally and unintelligent. Um, emotionally illiterate, I'll say. Right. And that's not the case with the majority of black men, especially black men that I know on the day she knows. So uh, it'll be interesting when you get a chance to see it. Uh, you can judge for yourself uh, what you think about Omar and, 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 and Omar's reasoning and his plight. And uh, that's the point of the show. We, we, we try to create uh, let, me, let, me, let me break it down a little bit more, because Omar leaving out uh, what he did to his boy Keith. But, but watch the show. But watch the show. But watch the show. But watch the show. His boy Keith. Mr. Sensitive. Mr. Sensitive Keith. And then you have uh, yeah. Deji's character. He plays the character Greg, you know. Right. And then also you have Jarvis, the, uh, probably the most complex character I think outside of Omar. I think Omar's character and Jarvis' characters are the two most complex characters on the show because Omar, they deal with mental issues, anger, anger management. They talk about the, the, the uh, father being in the, in the in the in the relationship with a child because he's the only out of the four friends. He's the only one that has a child that he knows of. And then right. that's that's really important that, that this continues to be that way. 
Did something happen? Mm-hmm. What happened? Okay, cool. And so mm-hmm. I want to make sure that you understand that when I'm watching the show, Thomas, I am pulled in by the character, by the, the, the acting, the scene continuity, the editing, the lighting, the, 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 the believable relationships, all that special. I'm going to tell fans who are going to stream it. He says 30 minutes because that's what will air with commercial. It's 22 minutes. It's a fast stream now. I saw 12 episodes from 5.30 to 11 o'clock last night. Didn't miss a beat. Would have did the last two, but I get up at 4.30 in the morning. I said, I'll just get up early and watch the next two next day. And I'm glad I did because the next two episodes were equally outstanding. But the character, man, I root for Thomas's character, which is Omar. He makes me mad, but this is all good. When, when characters are written or acted a certain way that you become engaged in the relationship, so he makes me mad. I root for him. Sometimes I think his wife should just kick him in the in the in the butt. I know he needs to be there for his son, but he does stupid stuff with his boy Keith. Keith should know that he half the time he whiny, don't know how to get a woman. Woman plays him sometimes, and then and then Jarvis over there, he married to a white woman, don't know how to deal with being black. And then you got Greg over there mad at him because he he part time Malcolm X. He driving an Uber with a with a two seater with a two door Uber. Who does that? <laughs> That's where the drama <laughs> comes from, brother. A great hey, you, show, hey, man. Hey, you summed it up. Hey, you summed up all the characters in one rant. I love it. I love it. That just means you're emotionally connected to the characters. And, and that's the, the, the first thing you want when you're creating a show is you want the audience to care about the characters. You want them to care about the leads, care about their situation, root for them, want them to do well, want them to succeed, but also understand the mistakes they make because we all make mistakes. No one's right. perfect. Mm-hmm. If you if you write a show with a perfect character, people are probably gonna turn turn the channel. Right. Because there's there's nothing they can relate to. And all four of these black men are very, very different, different energies, different essences, different complexions, different uh, you know physical attributes. Right. They're all different, but they all are best friends. And you can see the chemistry is natural because in real life all four of us as the lead characters are really brothers in real life. Right. Uh, Jarvis Johnson played by uh, Derek Brady, Philip uh, Smithy plays Keith Johnson mm-hmm. and Daisy Luray, the creator of the show plays Greg Johnson. And I play Omar Johnson. If you see us in real life at a pool hall, at a bar, at a wedding, wherever we are, it's the exact same relationship. Right. In between takes, if we're shooting a scene where all four of us are in the scene, and they're changing the cameras or there's some quick adjustment they have to make and we all four go into the room where the cast is, you could literally put the camera in that room and you would get the same energy that you get on screen. The same conversations, the same personalities, and that's because Deji and I wanted to cast this show very, very, as, as much as true to the character as possible. So that way it wasn't too much work for the actor to be someone that we wanted them to be as opposed to just being them as an actor and as a person. So that's why the relationships are authentic. And when you watch the show, you automatically can connect to the characters and connect to our friendship because it's real. We'll be right back with more Money Making Conversations Masterclass with Rashawn McDonald. Now let's return to Money Making Conversations Masterclass with Rashawn McDonald. Being an incredible athlete, and being a who was performing at a high level from an athletic standpoint, the NFL is the sport in America. 
And then you come to Hollywood. And somebody, oh, here's another athlete trying to be an actor. Here's another athlete acting like he got some ideas. How did you overcome some of the stereotypes that you were hit with when you start making that transition from an NFL star to a to a prof- uh, to an actor in Hollywood? Well, that goes back to my father making me read the front page of the paper. Um, that's how far that that mindset goes back. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I I had probably over 90, I had about 95 scholarship offers in high school. Um, I was, uh, I was rated the number two running back in the nation coming out of high school. Mm-hmm. So any college in the country that I wanted to go to major college football program, I could have gone to, but I understood that certain schools had a better academic reputation. And so that's why I chose Virginia and Notre Dame. Those were my two last two, two, two final picks. Um, mm-hmm outside of some other schools that were incredible schools, but they just didn't have the same reputation because I understood, what if I break my leg? What if I don't make it to the NFL? Mm-hmm. Then at least I have an incredible uh, degree from a, from, a, from, a, from a very, very respected college and university that will potentially help me get a job, a good paying job. Um, so I never saw myself as just a football player. And even though I played 12 years in the league, that was my life. That was who I was. That right. was what I did. That's how people saw me. There was a part of me that also understood that that's not my identity. And I struggled with it. Even when I retired in 2012, I went through this phase of no more cameras, no more crowd, no right. more mm-hmm. number 20 Jones. Who am I? Mm-hmm. Despite not being you know, raised that way, I still had that, what am I going to do? How mm-hmm. am I going to get validation? I don't have... Uh, the fans cheer me on after a touchdown or when I come out of the tunnel. And so acting, that was the perfect industry for me to transition to because it's not the typical uh, career choice that athletes make. And like you said, it's another athlete trying Mm -hmm. to be an actor, trying to be a producer, trying to have ideas. Mm -hmm. No, I'm a black man first and foremost before I'm anything else. (laughs) And so my experience comes before a football. Right. Cool. And, I, I, and so this show was just perfect because I was able to suggest and 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 interject all of my experiences as a black man mm-hmm. into all four of these characters and then act as an actor right. and bring it to life. Absolutely. So it was the perfect scenario at the perfect time for me in a perfect show. Cool. I'm talking to Thomas Q. Jones, uh, executive producer, showrunner, and star on Bounce TV's dramedy, Johnson. Uh, two questions as we close out this interview. What don't you miss about the NFL? Uh, I don't miss training camp. <laughs> well, uh, what made training camp? So I've heard that on TV, TV shows, sports. Or what, what, what's so bad about training camp? Training camp. And, and, I, and I, don't, I don't necessarily mean this. I kind of mean this literally, but I, I kind of don't mean this literally. Training camp, and, and fortunately, I've never been to prison before. Mm-hmm. But training camp is like being locked up. Back when, back when I was in the league, not my last few years, which was like 2010, 11, mm-hmm. but my, I was drafted in 2000. Mm-hmm. where we started training camp in July, early July, like July 11th. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And we didn't break camp until September 1st or August 31st, where 
On the latter end of my career, we started training camp and it was a new CBA, collective mm-hmm. bargaining agreement. And so we can only have one, two a day and not three and all that stuff. Then we started training camp maybe July 27, 28. Right. Mm-hmm. But I was used to being in training camp the majority of my career for um, almost two months. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you're in a secluded place most of the time. And it's all football every day. So after the first two days, you don't even know what day it is. You don't <laughs> you don't care what day it is. You don't you don't have the energy to care about anything but football. Uh-huh. You don't have the energy. My birthday is August 19th. Uh-huh. So I just I still haven't celebrated my birthday uh because I've always been in training camp for my birthday. <laughs> right, right. You know, so so my birthday is August 19th. I wake up in the morning, I have to be at the facility at 6 30 and I have to be at practice at 8 30. And then training uh, training room for treatment. Then I'm in the cold tub. Then I have lunch. Then I have meetings. Then I practice again. And then we have meetings again. I don't get back to my room until 10, 10, 15. Curfew's at 11. So by the time I get home and I check all my messages, 30, 40 messages, and I call everybody back, thank you. My birthday's over. It's right. done already. <laughs> next, so, so I haven't been able to really, I, I still haven't psychologically connected my birthday to enjoying the day because I'm in training camp and usually that's my third week of camp where I'm just physically and mentally drained. So I don't miss training camp at all. Um, I do miss the camaraderie yes, sir. and the brotherhood in the locker room. And, mm-hmm. and, and I miss the fact that I'm around guys that understand the stakes and the consequences of not being successful as an NFL player. That means you're going to lose the game, which means someone's going to get fired. So the stakes are always here. And so everyone always, we understand each other. We know if you drop a ball, you might get cut. If I fumble the ball, I might get cut. If it's a tackle, you might get cut. Mm -hmm. So we all have the same energy. And that's why I'm so thankful for Johnson and Hollywood, because it's the same state. There's the same stakes here. You know, you have to force your way in this business because you're not guaranteed to get a job. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what you've done. My last big job that I did was Luke Cage. Mm-hmm. And I've been booked for a lot of other projects outside of that, even mm-hmm. P-Valley. But my role in P-Valley was maybe three episodes, season one. Mm-hmm. But if I wouldn't have produced Johnson, my own series, mm-hmm. as a showrunner EP and a lead act, the, lead, the lead actor, mm-hmm. uh, in regards to the call sheet, what else would I be working on? Right. We wouldn't we wouldn't we wouldn't be having this conversation. Right. So the stakes are high if you want to continue to be successful and you want to make money and and and, and evolve in this business, you have to continue to grow and evolve and work hard because everyone at any time can suffer the same consequences. And that's why I think our transition so smooth into this and also meeting someone like Deji that understand those understands those stakes and is willing to work just as hard as me. And he's just as dedicated and believing in him and betting on himself as I am to make this possible. So it's been an incredible transition. I'm really excited. I couldn't have picked a better career mm-hmm. uh, and industry to transition into. It's been therapeutic in a lot of ways. I've been able to meet some incredible people and evolve as a person, as a man. And a show like Johnson just only helps me grow and evolve as a black man. So it's been an incredible experience. Well, you've answered both my questions, Thomas, Thomas Q. Jones. Um, High school star, NFL star, 
Now he's a TV star. Next level, going to be a film star. Because, brother, you're talented. <laughs> and all these blessings that I'm throwing your way, receive it. Because I feel Thank blessed you. after watching 14 episodes of The Johnson on the Bounce Network. It's a hit series. Uh, when Thank they do oh, 30 minutes, they always call them sitcoms or comedies. This is a dramedy. And that's a compliment when I call it a dramedy. And it's put together out in an outstanding level of production with the lighting, with the editing, with the continuity, with the storytelling. When one episode ends, they pick up the next episode and right there. There's no lost time. It just feels like it's just one long movie, which is a blessing. Right. And again, thank you for coming on my show and allowing me to go down memory lane and let you know I've been a fan and now I'm going to be a bigger fan because what you put on TV as a black man has never been done before. So know you're a groundbreaker, too. And to be a groundbreaker, that means that there's more blessings and more people are going to recognize your talents. And it's, I, I, I'm going to want to meet with y'all. I told JG, told Chris, I say, look, I need to connect with these brothers because once we sit down, I'm going to connect them with some other people because I want to do some I want to do some projects with y'all. OK, thank you. Thank, thank you, Russian. We appreciate the opportunity. We appreciate the flowers and the recognition. And we also appreciate you giving us a voice because without your platform and your voice and you taking the time to watch the series and understand the the narrative and appreciate the narrative, uh, we're wasting our time. Right. So you just as equally, it's a 50-50 partnership between us as the creators and you giving us the platform. So trust me, you're just as valuable to us as we are to creating the show. We go hand in hand. So, so you're going to you, you, you get August 19th, you're going to get tagged because I'm going to wish you a happy birthday on my social media, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for coming Thank on Money Making so Conversation about the class. I appreciate you, Thomas Thank Q. You. Jones. Thank you, brother. All right. And always remember, leave with your gifts. Keep winning. I'm Rashawn McDonald. I am your host. You've been listening to Money Making Conversations Masterclass with Rashawn McDonald. Always remember to lead with your gifts. Money Making Conversations Masterclass is a presentation of 3815 Media Incorporated. You are now tuned into the Money Making Conversations Minute of Inspiration with Rashawn McDonald. Hi, I'm Rashawn McDonald from Money Making Conversations Masterclass with your daily Minute of Inspiration. Recently, I spoke with one of the actors from the Star series Power Force, Anthony Fleming III. He explains the importance of not allowing no to be his definitive answer and working towards his goal. That's another thing, storytelling, just so you know, the actors, the grind never stops. You know, you True. get told no way more than you get told yes. So, you know, you got to keep hustling. You got to stay hungry. That's one thing I would always stress and tell people who come into this industry and keep sharpening your skills, keep honing your craft. So I'm, I'm steady doing that. Uh, I got a couple of things, projects that I'm working on. You know, I also do voiceover work. I can hear uh, so it. I, I can hear it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, can, I do a lot steal, of If I can just steal 25% of your voice, Anthony, I'll be a happy can. Happy yeah. camp here, brother. If you want to listen to this full interview with Anthony Fleming III, it's available on moneymakingconversation.com.